By the way, the answer is always yes. There's always a f***ing chandelier. Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me today, as I most often do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm doing very well, Michael. Uh, Hold on, let me just get this cat out of the room. There we go. Uh, Yeah, everything's fine. I'm excited to talk about some stuff. Wait a minute. How'd that cat get back in here? Is that the same cat? Okay, anyway, we're good to go. (laughs) I'm freaking out over here, man. Got some deja vu going. There's a glitch in something. (laughs) So despite the fact that this episode is not going to come out till the very end of January, this is actually the first episode that you and I have recorded, uh, a table topics that is, since the new year. So happy freaking new year. Happy freaking new year. So that is what we are actually going to spend a majority of this episode talking about. We've already covered 2015. For the RPG Academy, it was an amazing year. Again, I, I could gush about it for a long time. The things that we were able to do, the things that we accomplished with your support was incredible. And we have some pretty big plans for 2016 that we want to get to as well. Before we get into that, though, we want to take a quick second, in case we do have some new listeners, uh, that you know how to get a hold of us in case you would like to. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at the RPG Academy. And I am at the Caleb G. On most social media platforms like Facebook and Google+, if you just search for The RPG Academy, you will find us. And we also have a Patreon campaign, which we'll touch on a little bit later, which is also at slash The RPG Academy. And if you have any emails that you would like to send us for suggestions for show topics, just to get in touch, you can send those to podcast at The RPG Academy. But with that, we're going to move on to 2016. We're going to start by thanking some of our newer Patreons. Uh, We do have a Patreon campaign, and we are revamping it for the new year. Caleb, do you want to kind of go over some of the changes we made and if maybe why we made some of them? Yeah, yeah, of course. We have revamped our Patreon campaign a couple times, and this is really in search of finding that perfect strategy synergy combination of getting everybody involved getting everybody something they are happy about we are really trying to improve the show and do better things for the future so that is why we have uh, a patreon campaign and that is why we depend on you guys to help us out so this year our revamp we have kind of streamlined everything there are four pledge levels ranging from a dollar to $25 and you're going to get things such as uh exclusive content uh there's a t-shirt club and invites to some of our trial games and invites to be playtesters for our module that we are writing here at the rpg academy yeah it kind of as you touched on we we've revamped it a couple times in the past and and be perfectly honest what we have found the rewards or the things that we offer in exchange have been pretty much not that important 
it seems like the majority of the people who support us, and we appreciate the hell out of every one of you, is just because you like what we do. Like there isn't something that you want necessarily in return, but you just want to help us out. And this is a way that you can do that. So the rewards that we were offering pretty much didn't really seem to matter. So then it came to us that, well, if you like us, you like the show, why not just give you more show? And that's where the exclusive content is going to come from. There's going to be a few things that we throw up there periodically. And then we also have a new campaign series that I'm, I've just started. We've had the first session and we're about to do another and uh, that will be out soon. Now, I'm going to try to drum up some interest in the Patreon. So I'm actually going to release the first couple episodes on the mainstream so that everybody can listen. And then hopefully that will get everyone hooked and go, oh, that's something I want to listen to more. And so they'll come over and support us. Uh, But as Caleb touched on, we have been able to do some pretty amazing things because of our support. Uh, One, we keep ads off the site. That's something that's very important to me. If you go to our website, it may not be the prettiest you've seen, but there are no ads because I go to some other websites that are much bigger than ours and it looks like I'm walking through a flea market. I can't stand it. That's not what I want. Uh, We've been able to buy all new equipment. Every one of our players in real life as well as online games have their own microphone and setup. We have a new mixing board. And those are things that would not have happened if it wasn't for the support of our patrons. Uh, Caleb mentioned the t-shirt club. So at the $15 or above level, you're part of the t-shirt club. And what that means is anytime we do a t-shirt sale, uh, the people at that level or above go ahead and get one basically out of the funds they would pay us that month anyways. And coincidentally, we have one going on right now. Yeah, if you guys swing over to teespring.com slash the RPG Academy, you will see our new logo courtesy of JDOT and our new shirts featuring our new logo. They are super duper sweet. And uh, again, you know, we try to be very transparent here because this is just a, a hobby thing that Caleb and I do. We try to keep these shirts as inexpensive as possible. Right now they are $18 each. And to be perfectly honest with you guys, we are not making money on this. This is a way to get our listeners to have a cool shirt so that people can show some support and drum up some interest in the show. This is not a money-making campaign. To be fair, we make a little, just a little bit per shirt. I mean, we're, it, they we're are... talking McDonald's dollar menu. We're not talking Big <laughs> yeah. Macs. Yes, pretty much. I make them as cheap as I can to make them as reasonable as possible for you guys. Like like Caleb said, we just want more people wearing them. Because, again, it's, it's advertising. You're wearing your shirt to your favorite convention. I don't know, maybe a catacon. And someone might say, hey, that's a cool shirt. What is that? And then it gets a conversation started and it helps us out. So once again, thank you to all to our patrons. And, and we are a little bit behind. We have some new patrons that we need to thank on the air. I want to start by saying thank you to Michael Lane. He's actually been a patron for a while, but he recently upped his pledge to our highest tier. He joined the t-shirt club and above, and uh, your t-shirt will be on the way soon. So Michael, thank you very much. And we also have some other wonderful people to thank. Tyler Beckett, Quinn Wilson, John Neary, Nicholas Toep, Rob Sith, Danny Silva, and Jared Smith. Thank you all very much. I think that's Rob Stith. God damn it, Rob. I blame you for this. Yeah, it's my fault. Sorry, Rob. We love you. Okay, so we have talked about our Patreon campaign. We've thanked our patrons. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other plans that we have for 2016. As we started at the top, we mentioned that Caleb and I have been working on a module, and this is something that we've been going back and forth on for quite a while. We have some very 
grand plans for this. Uh, ultimately, we expect this to be a full level 1 to 20 campaign series that uh, of interconnected adventures in a homebrew setting that he and I are developing. It's going to be released in four parts, levels 1 through 5, 6 through 10, 11 through 15, and then 16 through 20. And the first part is going to come with a how-to guide for DMing as well. So we're going to take a lot of the advice that we have sort of um, given over the course of our podcasting careers and funnel that down into a beginner's guide of how to start running a game and then move into the first part. Our initial goal was to release the first section of that, so the the beginner's guide in levels one through five last year. And then we decided to do a catacon, and that became the sum total of our existence. Worst decision ever. No, it was the best decision ever because the catacon was amazing. So amazing that we're doing it again, which again, we'll get to here in a minute. Second worst decision ever. (laughs) But it took a ton of time. And basically the module went on the very, very back burner. So we are working on it again now. I'm going to be doing some play tests at some upcoming conventions that I will be at, including Winter Fantasy, uh, WitCon, Origins, and Gen Con. All four of those I plan on running our module uh, to continue the play test. We've done some of them already. The first two sections are great. I Again, humility aside, the first two sections are all we need to do is write them in a way that makes sense for a module and format them. But as far as what happens in the game, they're good to go. The next three sections uh, are a little bit more bullet pointy and they need some fleshing out. But it is our goal, goal, to try to release that this year at some point. I'm hoping around summer, but the distribution model may have changed with the, the DMs Guild coming out through Wizards of the Coast and that now being an avenue for people to get homebrew content. I want to kind of see how the Kickstarter market reacts to this. But it's it's our current goal to kickstart this module once we get it ready. One of the key components that I'm very excited about that I think will make this module something worthy of purchasing is there is going to be a level where the how-to guide comes with some hyperlinks to some exclusive audio content where we actually give examples of what we're talking about. So, for example, in the section where we say, here's how you do a skill check. There'll be a link you can click on, and then you'll go to an actual live game that we have played of that module, and you can hear us do a skill check. And then the module itself, there will be links to listen to how we described a certain area or how we played out an NPC, and then there'll also be a full playthrough that you can listen to as well. I think that will be extremely valuable, and I think it will be awesome if we can pull it off. So definitely stay tuned to this podcast, our website, and our various social media platforms as we talk about this. More likely than not, we will probably be asking for some play testers here and there. Uh, We typically start by pulling from our Patreon campaign. So if you're interested in helping us out, definitely swing over there and uh, check that out as well. So one of the next things we need to talk about for 2016 is the RPG Academy Network. Oh, this giant thing that is evolving in front of us. Third worst decision ever. (laughs) So again, if we have some new listeners, and I I have a feeling we might, and hopefully you haven't turned this off yet, we started our own network because we're stupid. Yup, I blame you. (laughs) I blame me as well. 
But so we started our own network, and basically, this is an affiliation with other podcasts and web uh, RPG related websites and such that we feel shares a common vision to what we do. And if you again, if you're brand new, the motto here at the academy is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We want more people to play games, we want people to have fun doing it, and we want to be an ambassadorship to the hobby. We want more people to play games and have more fun doing it because of us. And we found some people that seem to share that vision, and we've asked them to become part of our network. And at this point, we are actually writing an official charter. And by we, I mean Caleb, which is why he's angry at me right now. And it makes me giggle every time I, th- I think that this thing that we created, this thing we made up, now has an official charter. And we're going to ratify it. We're going to vote on it and you know bring it into existence. Uh, but the point of that is we've had some other shows approach us and say, hey, I, I see what you're doing. I see what this network is doing. And it sounds cool. We would like to participate. So the charter should be done soon, Caleb? I can neither confirm nor deny any statements at this point in time. So the, the charter should be done soon. And uh, essentially what we're going to do is this is it's like the guidelines and the rules for you know what you have to do to be part of it and what you get in return and what the overall goal and sort of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with it. Uh, if you have a show or a site that you want to be part of the network, we will send you a link to the charter. You read it. And if it still sounds like something you want to be involved in, then you will let us know, kind of introduce yourself. What is your show or what is your site? What does it do? And then if you just, again, if it's a podcast, you're going to give us a couple choice episodes. Like, you know, if you only listen to three, these are the three you should listen to because that gives you an overall idea of our quality and the kind of the content we're going for. And then we'll have a vote. And that's the way the charter works is that all the current members have an equal voice in who gets added. And we're going to start bringing more people on. And there's a couple that we've already been talking to. I, I expect that as soon as the charter is uh, ratified, within a few weeks, we're going to be able to announce the expansion of the network even further. And one of our network members is City of Brass. City of Brass is a very cool campaign management software. Uh, it allows you to keep track of Characters, worlds, maps, everything you are doing, access them right from your computer, tablet, phone, and whatnot. One of the cool things that we are doing with City of Brass is that they have a special code going on right now. And when you sign up for City of Brass using this special code, you get a little special thingy thing to happen. It's called a discount. I like my way better. (laughs) <laughs> but not only is it a discount, but uh, there's also a reward for us in it as well. So if you use the coupon code ACADACON16, that's A-C-A-D-E-C-O-N-1-6, you will get a discount on your subscription rate, and we get a small portion of your subscription payments, and we are going to use that money exclusively to help bring in additional network members into ACADACON this year. So Devin and Christopher from Sharkbone Podcast are both on board, ready to come. Uh, Lucas himself is coming. Rowett from Gamers Plane, I expect him to be there. Kevin from Melvin Smith Geekery was there last year. I fully expect him to come this year as well, along with Cinda and Emily are trying to be there. And again, these people, a lot of them are coming from states like Colorado and Nevada, Arizona, Texas, places like that. So any money that we bring in with that coupon code, we are going to use exclusively to help offset their travel expenses. So definitely swing over to City of Brass. Just check it out. 
regardless of whether you care about helping us out for a catacon and getting all these awesome people here, a discount on a very useful and well-made suite of campaign tools is always useful. So that is cityofbrass.io, and the discount code is ACATACON16. And I think that is a very natural transition to talking about a catacon. Oh, no, I thought we were done. Well, I mean... Is there anything else we need to talk about? It's the second worst decision we ever made, so we could be done. (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. So, uh, yes, uh, any discussion about 2016 could not happen, at least not for us, without a mention of a catacon 2016 leveling up. As I like to say, because I like to pontificate, that 2015 was into the wilds. And that's when we, as a low-level, brave, adventuring group, headed off into the wilderness. We gained a ton of experience from running our first convention, as well as running our first Kickstarter campaign. And now we're ready to level up and do it a little bigger and a little better. Sadly, I did not gain any gray hairs during this adventure. I really expected to. Maybe this year I will. I expect you will as well. So here's the deal. Catacon 2016 is happening. It's happening in November 11th, 12th, and 13th. The venue is changing. I know we've talked about some of this before, but we are going to be at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio. A lot of different reasons why this is going to happen. couple biggest, the lodge wasn't available uh, throughout the entire month of November, so it wasn't an option. And the convention center is in civilization. You can actually... Walk to a restaurant or to a bar. I don't know. Maybe use your cell phone. If those are things that are interesting to, or of interest to you, then you should be happier with the new location. Also, our new location features 100% less chance of death from vultures and cougars. I want to make a joke there, but I'll let that lie. Um, we know what you're talking about. That might yeah, be a do. possibility. <laughs> but with the new location comes a couple other things. Uh, one is cost. And to be to be very blunt, the cost of the Dayton Convention Center is substantially more than the lodge. Part of that is we got a great deal on the lodge, and part of it is that the convention center is an actual convention center, and it is large enough that we can grow there for years and years to come. So even though it is a lot more expensive, we felt that it was the best option for us, and because it's more expensive... We need to once again turn to Kickstarter, and that's how we are going to raise funds uh, to pay for everything. It's going to be a little bit different this year. As I said before, we learned a lot last year about running a convention. We also learned a lot about running a Kickstarter. And while the overwhelming feedback was positive, or overwhelmingly the feedback was positive, there were some things we could have done better, and we are going to make some changes this year uh, regards to the Kickstarter campaign. Caleb, do you want to kick off the most important thing is when this starts? The Kickstarter campaign for Akatacon 2016 leveling up starts on April 21st. That's a long way between the Kickstarter and Akatacon. Why did we make that decision? Here's the bottom line. We have a lot of work to do for Akatacon this year. As Michael said, the cost is a lot higher. We've got more people coming in, and we have more to figure out on a logistic standpoint. So basically, we need more time to get this handled. We want to capitalize on the success 
of last year's Acadicon, and we want to build on that momentum for this year's Acadicon. So after much discussion between the two of us and our network affiliates, we have decided to start the fundraising process early in the year and actually continue it after via different means. So the Kickstarter campaign is the first place that you can come to get tickets. It's where you can get some cool special tickets and some special offers, but there will still be opportunity to purchase tickets after the campaign has ended. We designed it specifically that way, and we are depending on that first initial groundswell of excitement to build throughout the year going towards November. I still hold that we, if we just sell out during the Kickstarter, then we're done. So that's, that's still my goal is just to do it once and be done. But we did learn our lesson last year, and there will be some means. We don't, we don't have all the details worked out, but more than likely there'll be a web store of some sort that you can go to our website, therpgacademy.com slash acaticon, and buy a ticket right there. So we don't have to go, well, you have to go through PayPal, and this is the email. It, it seems like this weird sort of like backdoor way to buy a ticket to this thing. It's going to be uh, very upfront, very legit looking. But again, if, if we just sell out all the tickets on Kickstarter, uh, we're done. Sure. We can always have that lofty dream. I am a little more grounded in reality than you. So I don't necessarily think that'll happen, but I am very willing to be proven wrong. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to prove me wrong, come buy all the damn tickets in April. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's talk about those tickets. Uh, we are going to have our VIP tickets once again. Just like last year, the number one benefit that you get from being a VIP is you get early registration so that you get a chance to get into the choice games before the general population. Uh, just like last year, we have some amazing guests coming that I think are that I think will make that benefit worthwhile alone. But we are also going to do the VIP mixer event, and then we are trying. We're working again. Some of this is still again big caveat. November is ten months away. Some things can change, uh, but we want to have a VIP special event besides the mixer as well. But. Just know if you buy the VIP ticket, the only thing I'm guaranteeing is that you get to register early. We also will be selling our discounted GM badges during the Kickstarter. Just like last year, in exchange for agreeing to run at least two events during a Catacon, we are going to give you a sizable discount on your badge price. Last year, we ran our games in four-hour blocks. We are going to stick to that this year as well. However, one of the changes we will be making, first off, uh, staggered blocks, so everyone is not running into the time problems we had last year. Also, whatever idiot decided to start gaming at 8 a.m., he's not doing that this year. Uh, he was fired. Yep, he was summarily fired. and Lama I, I sacked the guy who was responsible for sacking the guy who was responsible for the 8 o'clock game. And then llamas took over. We fired the llamas. And we're just not going to do 8 a.m. games this year. All that being said, if your game doesn't run exactly four hours, that's cool. If you want to just throw down some board games and card games, do whatever you want when you're in charge of your own little block of gaming. And, of course, all of the details... Uh, will be provided later on as we are going forward. We are going to offer some early bird badges. So one of the benefits of buying the tickets early through Kickstarter, again, because my goal is to sell them all, 
is that there will be a slight discount of a $30 badge. So the regular price badge is going to be $40. The early bird badges will be $30. And we are going to offer a hundred of those at $30. So if you add up the hundred early bird badges, the 50 GM badges, and then the 25 VIP badges, I'm not great at math, but that's $175, which is just a little bit higher, not much, but just a little bit higher of the total number of people we had last year. That leaves an additional 125 regular price tickets up for purchase. So we are expecting to have about 300 people this year. Our Kickstarter goal is going to be, it's going to be the minimum. It's going to be what we have to have to pay for the DCC and to pay for some costs that we just can't get away from uh, making all this happen. We want to do bigger and better things just like last year. We want to have a swag bag. We want to have a D6 and a poker chip and uh, stickers and all that kind of cool stuff. We want to have a ton of prizes that we can give away. Uh, We had a lot of support last year from game stores giving us prizes, but we also bought a significant amount ourselves. So we want to make sure that we have that available. And we want to be able to bring these special guests in. And we're a tiny con, but we have some amazing guests that come in. But there's a cost with that. You know, we put them up in a hotel. In some cases, we pay for some of their travel. So in order for us to do that, we're going to have to get beyond our minimums. And that's where things like just straight donations, sponsorships, and hopefully some vendor partners will come in. Uh, As I said, kind of at the top of the show, we learned some things about the Kickstarter last year. We know that the virtual ticket scheduling was an issue. We're going to fix that. We know that we didn't communicate very well with our sponsors uh, about what they got for their side. We're going to do that much better. That, that is our promise to you. And I will just throw this out. If you were someone who was disappointed last year as a sponsor, let me know. Contact me. I will do what I can to make that right for you this year. So let's talk about the big deal. Besides us, who are some of these special and amazing people that have already said, barring something crazy happened in the next 10 months, that they're going to come play games with us? Let's start off that list with the people and voices you already know from the RPG Academy podcast. The faculty will be in attendance. We will probably make them wear horribly bright shirts again so you can find them. They will be there to play games, run games, and we will force them into hard labor of doing the work that has to get done. Which includes a registration table, which is one of the things we learned about running a con. It's important to have those. I would just like for the record to state that I wanted to have a registration table. I think I talked about a registration table, and then the registration table didn't happen. I sacked that guy, too. You sacked that guy, too? Awesome. I was going to just blame the vultures, but that's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even better. The vultures ate that guy. The vultures ate that guy. Yay! So you will have those folks there to help you out and get everything facilitated nice and easily. We are also going to be bringing in members of the RPG Academy network. We mentioned pretty much everyone that will be there already, uh, but we're going to bring in Christopher and Devin from the Sharkbone, Kevin from Melvin Smith's Geekery, Lucas from City of Brass. Uh, We're going to have Ro from gamers playing and if all goes according to plan we're gonna have emily and hopefully senda from she's a super geek as well but wait there's more also want to mention that if the network grows then it's possible some of those other people who will then be part of the network might actually show up as well uh but if if you weren't at a catacon last year we had a truly amazing list of special guests and again i was surprised and humbled that these people would agree to come play games with us And I'm happy to report that save for one, 
everyone that was there last year has agreed to come back. And that one hasn't said no. They just haven't replied to my email yet. So it's entirely possible they'll be there as well. So returning from last year, we already have Rich Baker, who has a list of uh, RPG-related credits longer than my arm. Who else is coming back from last year, Caleb? We are also very happy to bring back Rob Schwab, John Wick, A.P. Klosky, and everyone from the U2 Can Cthulhu gaming team. Uh, the U2 Can Cthulhu guys are awesome. Uh, I loved talking to Bob from that team about everything they did. I was very sad to not get into one of those games last year. Hopefully, I will be able to do that this year. I did get into one of those games, and despite the fact that I got violently sick about halfway through it, it was still one of the best times I had uh, at the entire CADCON. It was an awesome, awesome game, and I'm super excited that they are going to come back and play games with us. We do not have a cabin for them. That That is one of the downsides of not having the lodge, but we did rent a separate room just for their game. So they will have a side room so they won't be part of the general audience. This will allow them, like last year, to kind of have things separated. They can control that environment a little bit more with props uh, and things like that. So hopefully uh, they will be able to provide just as good of an experience uh, this year as last, and I'm, and I'm sure they will. So again, pretty much everybody from last year is coming back from a game designer standpoint. But we have a couple new additions, one of which I am super excited about. Not that I'm not excited for all of them. Uh, but Keith Baker, the uh, writer of the Eberron setting, a novelist and game designer. He's uh, written some other games like Gloom, for example. And also the brand new RPG that is was kickstarted recently. It's in the developmental stage now called Phoenix Dawn Command. So uh, Keith Baker is coming out to play games at a Catacon as well. We are also very happy to welcome Kenneth Height from Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff, also the author of Night's Black, Agent for Gumshoe, and Trail of Cthulhu, on top of a billion other things that he's done. He's going to come hang out with us at a Catacon this year. That's pretty cool. That is very, very cool. And then our last special guest as of right now that is confirmed from the RPG industry side is uh, Will Hindmarch. Uh, Will has been an indie game developer and designer for quite a while. He recently kickstarted a project called Project Dark, and that is in development as we speak. He is going to come down and play some games as well. But we're not done. Outside of our RPG industry insider guests, we also have some other podcasting personalities. And this is another situation where a lot of people from last year will be here again. And hopefully we'll be, we will be adding more to this list as well. Starting off, everyone's favorite DMs, James and Kat from One Shot and Campaigns. They will be at a Catacon this year to hang out with us. As will Jim from Talking Tabletop. And I will not confirm or deny, again, 10 months away, but there has already been chatter about L5R Part 3, since we're all going to be together in November. Well, I will start taking my heart medication now. <laughs> uh, we also have DM Mitch and DM Chris from the DM's Block podcast who are going to come back. The, the goal is that they are not going to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and drive all the way in, play games for 8 hours, and then drive home. The goal is that they will actually get a hotel and spend the night and be able to play uh, some games and not be crazy. But again, 10 months away, things can happen. They did run an 
epically amazing game last year, even with those crazy requirements of driving in, running it, and leaving. So <clears throat> I really hope that uh, they can do something even better this year. So the challenge is out there, guys. you got to top yourself. Gauntlet has been thrown. Uh, in both cases, with RPG designer insiders as well as our podcasting personalities, we have a lot of extra, like we have feelers out. We're talking to different people. We're we're trying to make, you know, we're we're trying to get more than what we have to announce to come. Not that that's not enough, honestly. Uh, but again, some people can't commit that far in advance. But we have several other people that I, I believe that we will be able to announce between now and then. But here's the deal, people. Right now, we can't afford to bring those people here. It's just not going to happen. We have to have a successful Kickstarter. And really, we have to have a successful Kickstarter beyond the minimums that we need. Overall, the entire budget is based off of ticket sales. If we can sell every ticket, we have the money we need. Getting things like donations and sponsorships, and again, hopefully a vendor partner, will allow us a little bit more cushion. It will allow us to, again, buy more games for our prize giveaway. It may allow us, I don't know, to eat during that weekend, things like that. But the number one thing we need, just like last year, is we just need people to come and play games. That's, that's what we need you to do. So based off of last year, I suspect we will have a large number of people coming back. If you came last year and you're coming back, thank you. Bring two friends with you. We've sold out our tickets on April 21st. We can wrap up that Kickstarter in, in a day, and then we can start planning the awesome event that will happen in November. Absolutely. Again, please prove me wrong and make that happen. Please prove him wrong. <laughs> you would make Michael so happy to not only fund a Catacon immediately, but also to prove me wrong. That's his per personal goal right now. All joking aside, guys, please remember that we are not trying to make a profit with this Kickstarter. Michael said it many times. My job is to summarize. This Kickstarter exists to get the room reservation, bring in all of our special guests, and obtain all the necessary materials, both marketing and promotional, that we need to make this con happen. We are not doing this just because we're bored and we want some extra cash. We are doing this because we want to make this an awesome weekend. So that is why we're using Kickstarter. That is why we are talking about this at length today. We are attempting to make an outstanding convention happen again for the second year. So that is why we need more money because more stuff is happening. Absolutely. We, we said that all last year. We, we, are, we were not trying to make any money off the first convention. We failed in that a little bit. I actually ended up with $17. After all the expenses, which was roughly $9,000 total, after all the money came in and all this and all that, I think I ended up with $17 profit. Eventually, someday, yes, I would like for a catacon to be profitable. I would like to make money dream. I'd like that to be my job. I would like to be a convention organizer where my entire job is creating this awesome thing that people get to come and hang out and play games in and I get paid to do it. I don't anticipate that happening this year again. So the money that we're asking for, just one last time to reiterate it, at no point is that a, well, this will leave us with X dollars for us. That is not in the equation this year either. This year, everything we ask for is because we need it to put on the con that we want to put on and bring in the guests that we want to bring in. 
uh, just because we forgot to mention, I'll, I'll quickly say that the convention center is attached to a hotel, and that hotel is offering us a discounted rate. So if you do buy a ticket, you know you may want to hold off on the reservation. That's up to you. But once you, uh, if you want to do your reservation, it's the Crown Plaza Hotel. And it's in Dayton. Again, it's attached to the convention center by a Skywalk. Uh, let them know that you're reserving the room for a catacon, and you will get a discounted rate uh, on your room. And also remember, for all of our new listeners, people maybe just figuring out what this Akatacon thing is, while Akatacon is a gaming convention, our focus is always and will always be hanging out with your friends and playing games. A lot of the feedback we had from last year is exactly that. People felt like it was just a very cool, intimate weekend with all their friends hanging out, playing games. Right now, we are not putting in big events like panels and award ceremonies and things like that. Maybe someday in the future, but who knows? Right now, we're focusing on what we want to do, which is play games with you guys out there in the listening audience and have one hell of a great weekend. That's why we are so thrilled that so many amazing people from the game design community, from the publishing community, and from the podcast community have all agreed to spend this weekend with us. These people are going to be sitting at your game table with you. Maybe they're running the game they wrote. Maybe they're taking a break and playing a game with you. Maybe you guys are just hanging out in the hallway chit-chatting about whatever. This is amazing guys this is such a cool opportunity to be able to sit down and hang out with awesome people and michael and i <laughs> exactly so we will move on from a catacon for those of you who are, are excited hopefully you are now more excited for those of you who don't care we will now move on to something else so you can continue to not care it's super important to us thank you to, again everybody who came last year we have a ton of support from our fans, from our patrons, from our network. And I think that we are going to be able to make a Catacon 2016 even bigger, even better. And I'm looking forward to that challenge. And again, there were some bumps in the road last year. At this point, all I'll say is we are aware of them and we are actively going to work towards fixing them. There'll be more specific details um, as we get closer. But the biggest thing to remember, April 21st, Kickstarter goes live. By April 22nd, I want to be able to just go, yep, we're good. Shut her down. But before we move on to that topic, though, um, just want to give a quick, again, reminder that uh, I'm going to be at some conventions coming up here soon. And as always, I would love to hang out and meet people and uh, say hi, play some games together. So up next is Winter Fantasy, early February. Uh, I do have three games on the schedule. I still have tickets available. So please, if you're going to Winter Fantasy and you want to play in some awesome games, find me. Uh, I'm going to be at CincyCon, which is here local to Cincinnati. I have a couple of games on the schedule there. I'm going to be at Origins. Uh, there's, I don't think they've re- opened that for registration yet, so I, I will have games on the schedule. And I think usually that's the one Caleb is able to go to, so hopefully both of us will be there for that one. And then, of course, there's Gen Con, uh, which I will be at. There's a lot of Gen Con news, but we will cover that as we get closer. Okay, so now let's get into what we're going to talk about. What we actually try to do here on these table topics when we're not self-promoting, is we try to use some of the experience that Caleb and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs and share some advice, share some insight, and help people play games and play better games and focus on the fun, which again is our motto. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. 
So we wanted to have at least some topic that we actually covered today as well. And this is something we've touched on in the past, but I think we have a little bit different of a spin on it. There was a conversation that I was involved in recently on uh, social media, on Google Plus specifically, about player uh, agency and player narration. And well, I, Caleb, do you want to kind of sum up what what that what that kind of means when we have like a player agency and player narration? Okay, so player agency, narrative control, this means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In ugh, Jesus Christ, why can I not say anything today? Player agency or narrative control means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In my opinion, what this means is it describes a situation when the player has the ability to not just react or describe his or her actions as her PC, but actually takes a little bit of control and describes the setting the situation, a little bit of the story. Basically, the player takes a partial role as the GM and starts to narrate events that are happening in the game. And this can manifest in a lot of different ways. Uh, you could have a thief character who says, I'm going to wait for a dark cloud to cover the moon to darken the area before I flit from one tree to the next. If the DM wasn't thinking about it being a cloudy night. Maybe in their mind it was, a, it was a cloudless night and it was a bright moon and that wasn't ever going to happen. But in that example, the player kind of created like like a weather phenomenon. They, they created the fact that there was a cloud and that, that cloud would block the moon. What are some other examples of player agency or, or I should say player narrative, player narration that you've experienced or you've used, Caleb? Well, for example, in... A recent game of Wushu that we played here on the RPG Academy. That game is all about player narration. It is not just saying, I walk up and attack somebody. It is saying, all right, I run across the battlefield doing flips and acrobatic maneuvers to avoid everyone's attack. As I get to the middle of the field... I pull out my sword and swing in a 360-degree arc, taking everybody out. And uh, one of the soldiers I took out was holding a battle standard. I knock that up in the air and catch it as it falls, as all the enemy soldiers fall beneath me. So instead of just saying, I run an attack, you're actually describing an entire situation. Another less combat-y example could be talking about well, I, I walk into town and I see uh, different buildings here and there. And you actually start describing the the location that you're in, the NPCs that you see. Maybe you name a couple of them. You decide in that moment that there's a tavern over there. There's a blacksmith over there. There's a town guard over there. So the player is taking the initiative to actually describe the world that he or she is walking into, not just waiting for the GM or DM to describe the situation. In this example, well, in this type of gameplay, there's a lot more shared world building and shared narration. And I think that's one of the benefits of it is that it doesn't put the onus solely on the DM to create everything. And I know I'm definitely guilty of this where I have a particular scene in mind and I, I have thought about that scene and I have role played my side of that scene several times. 
So I kind of don't really focus on some of the periphery things. And I may forget to mention other things that are around that make total sense in this setting that there should be one of those there. But I forget to mention it. And the players, they don't see what I see because in my head, it's a full scene. But I'm only describing the parts I'm super concerned about. It's almost like in the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons where you always knew what the secret door was because it was a little bit different color. My scene is a little bit different color, and the background just isn't really quite as vibrant. But in a role-playing game, you kind of want the whole thing to be vibrant. Absolutely. One of the cool parts of this is that it's less work for the GM. Let's be honest. We have a lot of work when we are behind that GM screen. And getting your players to provide information is awesome. Because they are giving details that we don't have to think about. And maybe they're going to provide better details than what we're talking about. Maybe they'll provide something different, something more unique. This all boils down to your players getting more invested in this game world. If I sit here as a GM and simply say, all right, you walk into a town, there's a tavern, there's a blacksmith, there's a temple. And in the surrounding area, there are farmers. The players just take that and try to interact with those elements. But if I let them name the blacksmith, if I let them also add that there's a merchant, there's a, a, a wizard academy, there's a group of rangers coming back from exploring the woods... All of these details are things that they can now interact with, that they are more excited about, and they are more details that I, as the GM, have an opportunity to work with now. In most of my experience, a lot of that will still happen, but it happens in what I've, I've known as the mother may I interaction with a game where a player says, is there a blacksmith? And the DM will say yes or no. Uh, is there a tavern nearby? Yes, no. Are there any farmers nearby in their fields? Yes, no. And in a lot of cases, the DM's going to say yes, at least I think they will, because in, unless it's a story reason that there wouldn't be a blacksmith, maybe maybe the blacksmith is a key plot element and the blacksmith was killed recently. But beyond things like that, if if a player says, oh, is there a cobbler here? Is there a bar here? Is there a tavern here? Is there this here? If it makes sense to the setting, why wouldn't there be? So they're going to say yes. The, the idea of player narration is that rather than having the mother may I, they just assume that anything that should be there is there, and then they have the ability to sort of input it in their own way, and I feel like this kind of helps build that shared world and investment in the story. I think this is a great opportunity to remind everyone of what our motto is. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. If you have more fun or if you're more comfortable playing a game where you as the GM lay out all of these details and let your players react and interact with them, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are a GM where you want your players just to invent details and flesh out this world, there's nothing wrong with that either. It is so important to us here at the RPG Academy to stress that we are simply talking about different ways of running the game. We are not saying one is right and one is wrong, because I truly believe that that is not true. There is no right and wrong way 
other than following certain rules. And I think it all boils down to experience. It all boils down to what you are most comfortable with, what you've tried, where you feel your success can be gained. Speaking from me personally, when I first started running games, I was absolutely the here is a town, here is this building, 20 feet away is this building, here's a cleric, here's a ranger, here's a warrior, here's a wizard. I detailed every single tiny detail that I could figure out for a setting, for a town, for a dungeon. And over the years of playing, I've evolved, I've learned, I've gotten more comfortable with doing it the other way, with providing the bare bones foundation and letting my players fill in those details as they need and as the story needs. So, so this is not something that you just pick up overnight. I'm sure some people are incredibly gifted at this type of, of gaming, and I'm jealous because I do not yet have that pure improv narrative mind yet. I'm still learning it. So this is a journey that you guys are on to get from one type of playing to the next. And absolutely, uh, you said it right. You know, there is no right way to play. If you're having fun, absolutely, you're doing it right. Don't worry about changing for the sake of doing it the way someone else says that you should. Personally, I do enjoy a game more that allows for that. I enjoy as a player doing it, but that's a personal preference. That's subjective. That's not an objective opinion coming down saying that's right or that's wrong. But one of the things that happened in this conversation that kind of spurred me to think think through this again was that some of the people I was conversing with that were somewhat against it, a lot of the reasons why they were against it seem to be reasons that don't actually make sense. It makes me think that they actually haven't tried it. And these are like theoretical, worst case scenario situations, or they may have played in a game with someone who wasn't great at it. And it was a bad experience. And now they sort of turned off of that. And they now think that that that's not the right way to do. So the reason I wanted to bring it up was I wanted to give some of the reasons why you should do it. What are some of the benefits of allowing it? But then what are some of the pitfalls and some of the things that you need to be worried for? So we've touched on these a little bit already. I think I think for me, one of the reasons I like to do it is it is investment. If I help create an NPC, let me, let me go sideways here. I see this as a question all the time. How do I make my PCs care about an NPC? I want them to get attached to an NPC so that later when I put them in danger, they will care. Perfect time to use player narration. Let them create the NPC. Let them be involved in the creation, the birthing process, if you will, of that NPC into this world. They're instantaneously going to be more connected than if you just say, Bob the blacksmith, who is a kindly old man, he used to give you treats as a child as you would stand by his forge. That's not a bad bit of narration. But if they're the ones that come up with, oh, you know, Bob's been around forever. He was like a, my, my, my step uncle. I used to call him uncle when I stayed in the shop. Now they care a lot more. I think in general, people will care a lot more so that when Bob's in danger, there you go. That is a very important tool to have in your GM toolbox. I've used this many, many times in our games. The 5e campaign that we are preparing to run here over the next couple months, I've used exactly that. I've told all my players, I've told you specifically, Michael, I need you guys to have strong ties to your starting city and this 
location that you grew up in. Give me NPCs and tell me why you care about them. Give me a location that you always go to. Give me a, a place that has importance to your character. If I just walked up into this game and said, all right, guys, here's the town, here's the map, over here is the tavern where you all hang out every weekend, over here is the house of the wizened old retired warrior who you've all learned from and gives you important pieces of knowledge and things like that, I'm basically forcing these character development moments upon you. And maybe forcing is the wrong word. I'm choosing what's important to your character. Now, as a player, you might be fine with that. You might say, yeah, okay, so if this guy lives over here, I grew up with him doing this, this, and this. And you create that part of the story in the moment. But personally, and I think we agree on this, I think there's a lot more power and impact if I let you make up those moments and create those details for the game. Absolutely. Uh, you can still have some back and forth. As the DM, I may say, Caleb, your character, Rothgar, he grew up in this town. Uh, your family was really close with with Bob the Blacksmith's family. You spent time in the Forge a lot as a child. He was always very kind to you. Give me an example of something that happened once when you were younger with your character that really endeared you to Bob. So in that kind of situation, as a DM, I still created Bob, and I forced the relationship, but then I'm asking for a little bit of input from the character. And if you have a good one, Caleb, go ahead, go ahead and tell me a cool example. Well, that right there is a... Wait, what? <laughs> I was totally going to say something else. I, I thought you wanted to actually answer my prompt and tell me what Rothgar and the situation with Bob. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say something important. As Caleb. Okay. As Caleb, yeah. I'm not Rothgar. Rothgar might be copyrighted. <laughs> I don't think we can be Rothgar. I think it's Redgar, isn't it? In... Eh, either way, let's be careful. It's it's the accent. <laughs> it, it's spelled with a, with a P-H. Oh, yeah, and there's an umlaut in there. We're fine. So, yeah, Michael, what you identified there, I think, is a great transition, almost a compromise between these two different schools of thought. It allows you as the GM to create some boundaries or guidelines, but it still allows the player the ability and freedom to add in some details. Essentially, what you are doing is saying, as a GM... I have determined this one detail. Player, add a second or supplementary detail to flesh it out. So exactly like you said, Michael, I'm defining a blacksmith exists, but the player is fleshing out the relationship between his or her character and the blacksmith. I think this is a great thing to try if you are unsure about how to get to that point of feeling comfortable with player narrative control. Yeah, again, it's it's a good middle step uh, so that you don't give up full control if, if you're newer DM or if you have a very intricate plot and, you know, someone throwing out a random detail could could derail it in some way, then this is a good way to have it have a structure to it. Now, what I would say from the DM standpoint, though, is you still have to be careful if uh, you're trying to bring this out of your players and they're not good at it or they're not used to it or both then you're going to have to pull and sort of prod them along that path that you're trying to get them to. So you need to be encouraging. Now, you can simply say, okay, give me more, a little more detail, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more. 
but don't say, no, that was bad or that was dumb or just, no, I don't like that. Give me another one. When you sort of use that negative language, you're going to make them want to not try. At least, well, I'm generalizing here. Some people might actually be challenged by that no and try to come up with something better. But in general, I'm going to say you want to sort of encourage them and say, oh, that's great. That's great. Even if it's not great. Oh, that's fantastic. Give me a little bit more. Oh, give me, give me, give me more. Perfect. And that encouraging language is going to get them to open up a little bit more and feel more comfortable doing it in the future. And I think the bottom line of this entire topic is all of this depends on the trust between you and your players. If you trust your players to be able to competently throw out examples and ideas and work it into the game, if you trust your own skill to be able to react to that type of addition, go for it. If you're not there yet, figure out a way to get there. I see it happen a lot more early on in combat. I think that's the most... um... It's the easiest way to facilitate this type of thinking for the player. Because it's really easy to say, all right, you have a successful hit with your weapon. Describe the hit for me. It's harder when a player is told, you walk into a building describe the building. Yes. So there's a couple different topics and we're, and we're, we're jumping around, which is fine. I'm just trying to keep everything in line in, in mind here. So one thing I want to talk about is being descriptive in your language. I want to hold on to that one for a minute. I want to come back to it. So remind me, I want to get back over more to the combat where, again, I think that's the way most people start. You, you killed the creature, describe what that looks like. You had a successful hit. Describe what that looks like. You missed. What did that look like? Because you have a very narrowly focused description. They can't do too much with it that's going to break your game or, you know, just go out of bounds so it's, it's easier to do. But outside of the description and the combat, one of the, one of the other ways that people can create player agency, kind of like one of my early first examples with the Moonlight, is to create a setting detail that they want to interact with. And for me, the most common way is, is there a chandelier? By the way, the answer is always yes. There's always a f***ing chandelier. The reason why people ask if there's a thing is because they have a cool idea. And that thing is important to them. Is there a horse nearby? Is there a low window? Is there an open bar stool? Is there a mug of ale on the bar? Anytime someone asks those questions, that's because they have a really cool idea. They want to do something. As a DM, I'm going to say you should try to say yes anytime possible. That doesn't mean that you, they're going to get to do the thing that they want to do with it or that it's going to be successful. It means they get to try to do the cool thing that they want to do. The second part of that is when you skip the Mother May I part, and then rather than saying, is there a chandelier in the room, and the player just says, I leap to the chandelier, and you, you as a DM, even if you hadn't thought there was a chandelier there, you don't say, no, there's no chandelier in this tavern. You just That, that sort of no really just shuts the game down. I see you're trying to jump in there, so jump in. What were you going to say, Caleb? I was going to say that a really great example of this is our soft game with She's a Super Geek. And we've talked about this before. Uh, there was a point in our first session where I was making up some details, and you almost contradicted me. And, and there was that moment where you were kind of like, well, no, I think that, well, no, you're totally right. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And even though that was between two players, this is a, a great example of what you as the GM can do there. So imagine in that same situation, Michael's the GM, I'm the player, 
and I start saying this, this, and this is happening. Michael still says the same thing. Well, no, 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 it's not like that. And then he catches himself and says, oh, okay, yeah, it totally is like that. Because he realized in that moment, I was trying to describe something really cool and set up something for my character to do in the next scene. I was not trying to auto-win or kill the campaign or cheat or figure out some kind of min-maxing hack to the game. I was simply defining a story element that I would potentially attempt to use later. When I'm in D&D and my player says, I jump to the chandelier. Yes, there's a chandelier because you're doing something cool. Just because there's a chandelier there doesn't mean you automatically succeed at your acrobatics check to swing across the room. It doesn't mean you rolled a crit on your attack when you're jumping from the chandelier onto the thug's head. It just means you can try it. It also means that there's a better opportunity for things to go wrong when the rolls don't react. Absolutely. And that's when it gets really fun. Yeah. You're encouraging them to do the thing other than just the thing. Like, I know, again, that's another question I see all the time is my characters or my players, all they want to do is just attack the thing. They don't ever want to do anything interesting. Well, as the DM, are you encouraging them the ability to do the interesting thing or are you punishing them for it? And I'm, and I'm guilty of this myself. Even in a recent game, I, I caught myself, but I still did it. We were playing uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord and Rocky's character, Cyrax, the clock, uh, clockwork, wanted to take a shield that was on someone's arm and then like bash him in the head with it. And I made him roll like two different rolls to make that work, which basically punished him because it gave him twice as many chances of failure to do the cool thing than if he would just had have used his weapon. And this is where I think the experience comes in. If you have a player who's fishing for a win condition, they're, they're trying to slip a little knife in your story so that they can uh, best you as the DM in some way. But Rocky wasn't trying to do that. He was just trying to do something fun and cool, and I should have let it happen because it was fun and cool. And it did happen. It was just harder than it should have been, and it, it became less effective than if he would just have done a normal attack. And that's not what I want. I want my players to do cool, interesting things, so I need to not basically make that easier, but it shouldn't be any harder. This is also where trust plays a big factor. Michael, you know your home players. You know that... Rocky is not trying to break the game. He's just trying to do something cool. But that's because you've been playing with Rocky for a long time. I've been playing with my home group for a long time. I know what my guys are trying to do and what their general thought process is. That has a huge impact on, frankly, being able to let go a little bit as a GM. This is kind of about gaining some confidence in letting the table define itself and and take on life. If I was running a game with total strangers, I might be a little more hesitant about letting them do whatever they want because I don't know these people. They might be trying to find that sneaky min-max win condition. They might be trying to take the game another direction that I'm not ready for yet. I've never met these people before. Maybe when I'm playing at a con and I meet four random strangers, who knows what the hell's going to happen? I, I have to maybe have a little more control as GM to get through the module in this block. 
and I don't know what they're going to try to do. So that's a little bit different. Now, I've played plenty of games with strangers, and I let them go crazy because that was the type of game we were playing. I've played plenty of games with strangers where letting them go crazy was the very wrong thing to do in that moment because (laughs) it was bad. Well, I think one of the big... Not arguments against, but one of the one of the things that you should be cautious about is one people could be just trying to break your game they're, and not necessarily like maliciously, but they're just trying to play to win, and for them, winning is beating all the monsters and getting to the end of the module alive and that's a perfectly valid way to play. but if your play style is a little bit more narrative story focused fun and you have a player that that is trying to do that, then they may end up manipulating that advantage uh, manipulating that situation to their advantage in a way that you don't want them to but also. Games that have a lot of narrative control by the players tend to be more silly, at least in my experience, that when all the players start riffing off of each other and building off of each other's uh, narration, it tends to go more towards the silly than, than the epic. The thing is, is, I'm okay with that, and I enjoy that, and I, as a player, I do that, so I'm okay with it, and I'm going to have a lot of fun, but... There are serious ways to tell stories. And, you know, again, going back to the L5R game with Jim, that's a very serious story. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, I highly encourage you to do so. If not, one, because you'll enjoy it, but two, listen to the parts where we are laughing in the game. Almost always it's out of character because we are taking the story super seriously. Our characters are being serious, but we as players are joking because of some of the things that are happening. The story is still serious, but we're still having fun telling it. That's just a slightly different type of uh, story. And that's more along the lines of the opposite way, where Jim was more controlling than we were in, in, in those types of bits. Both are valid ways to play. Both can be a ton of fun. But if you do want to try to grow into that where you let players have more narrative control, that is a concern. It's easier to do silly than serious in that type of game. Very true. But the principles are still the same. Whether you're playing a silly game, a fun game, a dark, gritty, horror, dramatic game, being able to let your players provide details and take some narrative control still functions in the same way. And it comes down to communication. When I sit down with my players, I'm going to talk about the mood of the game, the themes of the game, what we're trying to do. If I tell my players, hey guys, I want to try to keep this real serious. I want a very dramatic, emotional game. If they're on board with it, then we're going to be able to move forward. And that's the key of that statement. If my players are on board. If I, as the GM, am expecting this serious, dramatic game, but I'm letting them go off the walls talking about throwing pies at each other in the tavern... That's my fault because I haven't either said, hey, guys, I want a serious game, or I haven't used my power as GM to reinforce the serious atmosphere. Absolutely. And from a con game standpoint, that should be part of your introduction. 
where you say, hi, I'm Michael from the RPG Academy podcast. I'm running a module today that I'm working on. Just so you know, this is a very story-focused, uh, role-play-heavy game. There probably won't be a lot of combat, but if there is combat, it'll be very deadly. Um, I, I expect the tone to be more serious than silly, though there, you, know, you can't have moments of levity. Uh, so whenever you're describing things, because I'm going to give you the ability to narrate and, and create in the world, try to do it more towards the serious side. If I need to jump in, I will, but I don't expect that will be an issue. Or if you're starting a new campaign, that's where Session Zero comes in, where you set the tone of the game as people are creating characters, so you don't have a character who uh, doesn't fit the theme, and then they stand out like a sore thumb. Again, I've said before, you're trying to play Godfather, and someone else is playing the Three Stooges. Doesn't quite work, and you need to make sure everyone's on the same page. So I, I got two other things I want to talk about, and then we'll be close to wrapping this up. So going back to one of the things I'd put to the side was that description. I see this happen a lot, and it's something that I also, again, struggle with. But in general, I think we tend to try to over-describe the things in a scene. Because much like a storyteller, Tolkien, Jordan, so on and so forth, we want to evoke a strong sense of the world. We want to ground it in reality. And these little details, like a small crack at the corner of a silver mirror hanging over the fireplace— that's a cool detail that might stick in someone's mind and they remember that. But it also puts a lot of pressure on the DM to come up with all of these things. And most of us aren't as good at writing as Tolkien or Jordan or Martin. And here's the other thing. Those efforts write and rewrite dozens of times. And a lot of times those extra little details don't get put in until like the end. When you're doing this at the in, in live time... You're doing a first draft, a rough draft of that novel. And I don't think it's reasonable to expect that you will have every one of those details at the top of your mind. So my advice is to give less detail and to, and to make more broad strokes and then allow the players either in their own mind or verbally through narration to fill in the gaps. So, for example, if they go into a tavern, rather than describing everything they see, you can say, this is a raucous tavern. You've been in, in its like in many a different towns. There's someone playing music on a stage. There's people gambling and they're serving people walking around. That's not a lot of detail, but especially if you play D&D, in your mind, you probably have filled in a lot of details. And you may have even in your head created some of the races and some of the sexes. And you might uh, have an idea of, you know, is it smoky? Uh, do I, you know, can I smell the soup? boiling over the fireplace? Is there smoke boiling out? Is the, can I hear something next door? That's great to add in too, but I don't know that you always need it. So one way to do that is just to let everyone create their own image in their mind. And then you allow for narration when they say, well, I jump on the chandelier. I didn't say there was a chandelier in this tavern, but surely there is one. Cause again, there's always a chandelier or you can ask them and say, okay, Caleb, what sort of things do you see in this tavern? And actually go around the table and let them fill in vocally so that everyone at the end of that now has a shared vision of this tavern, but the DM was not required to describe it all up front. Exactly. Start with the foundation. Rely on the tropes of the genre and let the players fill in the details. This saves you a shit ton of work. It also makes the world more exciting, and it lets more details come out that you probably would not have thought of. 
Uh, and this is a great point for that kind of middle ground compromise we talked about earlier come into view. If we take the exact same setup that Michael did a second ago, raucous tavern, full of bunch of people, they're serving people, walking all around. If we take that exact same setup, instead of just letting players go crazy, you as the GM come up with four things you want to know more about and give one to each player. Say, all right, Tom, uh, what does the guy behind the bar looks like? And let him describe it. Uh, hey, Sally, there's a bard in the corner telling the story. Who's that bard? How is he or she telling the story? And what story is being told? Hey, uh, Timmy, there's a couple people gambling in the background. What are they gambling about? Describe the situation. Is it a happy game? Are they fighting? Does a fight break out? Figure out some prompts and then let your players go from there. That's also a great way if your players aren't used to doing this kind of thing yet. If they don't have the mindset, if they don't feel comfortable, if they don't feel like they are creative enough, even though they probably are, give them a little bit to go on. And that's how we can do that. Uh, the tropes of the setting are super important. We all know the fantasy genre. We all know sci-fi, cyberpunk, horror. We know how to fill in the blanks. Unless in your game you have a very specific story element or story detail or something different in the genre, this is a good way to do it. If you're playing a fantasy game but there are absolutely no dwarves, then there's no dwarves in this tavern. And if a player says, hey, there's a dwarf over there, that either means they're unfortunately incorrect or there's a huge new twist right around the corner. Yeah, and there's um, and there's a couple different ways you can handle that. Obviously, again, if you've set up the world correctly uh, at the beginning of your session zero or the beginning of the con game or whatnot, you've said there's no dwarves in this world. So then the player should know better. Uh, maybe it was just an, a slip of the tongue. They just, you know, they forgot and you can correct them. Or you could say there, there is a dwarf in the corner, but closer inspection, it shows it's just someone dressed up as one, which is quite common for a laugh in these parts or something. You know, you can, you can try to create, take their, their narrative and twist it into what you wanted it to be anyways. But more than likely, I don't think that's really going to be an issue too often. If it is just take a time out and say, yeah, guys, I, I, completely sorry i forgot to mention it's really important in my story that there are no dwarves there haven't been dwarves in a thousand years so unfortunately you know sarah i know you said there was a dwarf there i hate to do it but i'm gonna have to say that's not correct you want to redescribe that scene i don't think it's going to happen that often if it does i think your players will understand if you approach it that way all right so we're running a little bit long but i want to cover this last point because this is actually what the conversation i had on google plus was actually about I had brought up an example of a way that a player could narrate something and add to the story and add to the drama, which I called, I know a guy. And primarily we're talking about D and D because there are other games where having like a contact or an ally actually costs points and you have to create those at character creation or whatnot. I'm talking about like a typical D and D game. And the example was going back and forth between several of us about you need to talk to a guard about something. So I think I think the example, as best I can remember, something had happened. Our, the players were came to it late, and they and, and like an NPC said, "Well, the guards already dealt with that." So you now know as a player, okay, I probably need to go talk to a guard to get more information about the mystery. And my example was rather than going and talking to a random guard, 
my character might say, well, I know a guy, Bob, uh, he and I grew up together. I think he owes me a favor. He's a guard in this town. Let's go talk to Bob. And the level of negative reaction to that was, in my mind, surprising. And this is where it goes back to my original point that I think some of the people didn't have, don't really know what it means. Because a lot of people took this as an instant win. Like, oh, no, if, if they know a guard, that ruins the mystery. He's just going to tell them everything they need to know because they're friends. And I was trying to explain that that isn't the case. That In no way is that the case. There's lots of reasons why Bob may not want to tell the player something, even if they're friends. Maybe Bob wants to keep them out of it because he thinks it's too dangerous. Maybe Bob remembers the childhood a little differently. Maybe Bob doesn't like your character. You just thought he did. Maybe Bob's in trouble and he wants your help. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you what you need. But before that, you got to go take care of this guy because I owe him money or Maybe Bob wants to get promoted, and so he needs your help collaring a dangerous criminal, but he gets, wants to take credit. And ultimately, what I'll say is, there's this movie, you may have seen it, it's a space fantasy movie, and there's a moment in the second one of the series where one of the main characters, I think his name's Han something, he says, oh no, we're in trouble, our ship can't get to where we need to go, oh wait, I know a guy. That guy turned out to be Lando Calrissian. Was the fact that Han knew Lando an instant win? Did his life turn out to be perfect and shiny because of that relationship? Or in fact, did the story actually get more depth and more drama because of that relationship? <laughs> okay, so here is how I think you need to figure out your response to this problem. Before you debate whether or not the player knows Bob, and what that relationship is, and whether or not Bob owes a favor to somebody, or whatever shenanigans might shake out from that. You need to know as a GM what your plan is for the guard. So let's take this example again from the beginning. The, the PCs come to town. A thing happened. They have to go talk to the guards. Is your goal to give them information and move the story forward? Or is your goal to have them struggle to get the information from the guard. Right there, you need to make that decision. If you're just going to give them some details, then who cares if they know Bob or not? Because you're going to give them the information anyway. The point of order of knowing Bob or not doesn't matter, because you were already planning this to be exposition. If your goal, on the other hand, was to make this a challenge and the players have to figure out the information from the guard, then the fact that the one player says he knows a town guard just adds another level to the story. Because you already planned for them, for the guards to shut down the question to facilitate the challenge. So now if the player says, well, my guy knows Bob, but Bob won't give him the information, you've opened up that story a little bit. And the, the player can say, well, well, Bob, we grew up together. We, we were friends growing up. Why can't, why can't you give me this information? What's going on? You've just intensified that role-playing. But it go, all goes back to what your original plan was. So I think going into this type of situation, the key to figuring out what you want to do boils down to knowing your own mind first. So, so that's really, really important. But then going on from there... Michael's absolutely right. 
just because I add a detail does not mean it is the key to the dungeon lord's castle. It doesn't open up the entire game world. It just makes the next thing that happens more exciting and more interesting. Well, I'm very happy that we, for the most part, agree on this topic. Just to kind of quickly bring this back around, if you want to play a game where you as the DM dictate everything, that is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And as long as you're having fun, good for you. But I would ask you to at least consider, are there some opportunities to bring in player agency and player narration in a way that will enhance your game experience? In my opinion, in my experience, it does. But that is just one voice out of many. A one-shot Maybe you're running a long campaign that's been going along for several years, and one night, a couple players can't show up, so you decide to do just like a little sidetrack or a one-shot, or you play like a prequel or a sequel or whatever. That's a perfect opportunity to try some of these out with a sort of no-harm, no-foul situation. If the players go nutso and destroy that game, as long as everybody has fun, who cares? And you may learn from it so that later when you try it again, you're better at it. But absolutely don't have to do this because we say so. It's not a better way objectively. It's a better way for me subjectively. You just took my job because I think you summed yourself up pretty well right there. Very cool. Well, I, you still have one job left to do. We're going to end this episode. Because this has been the first time we've actually recorded together in some time, we have several iTunes reviews that need to be read. And before I turn it over to Caleb for that, I'm going to announce now our Gen Con contest for 2016, and it's also a Gen Con slash Akatacon contest. So the reason we read these reviews and the reason we try to get so many is they are very helpful. Every podcast you listen to at some point probably says, hey, if you have a chance, go give us a review. There's a reason for that because they're very helpful. One, it also just makes us feel good to read good reviews about ourselves. But we need more of them. We, uh, we are a very established podcast. We've been around for three years. We have a very high percentage of five-star reviews, but we don't have as many of them as we would like, or as in my case, I think we need. So our Gen Con contest is this. Starting today, for every 10 new iTunes reviews that we get, we are going to open up a $30 gift card that we are going to give away to someone at Gen Con, a listener. We'll get into the details a little bit more specifically later. So basically, we're going to pay for some of the games that you play, or we're going to pay for you to go out and have a couple beers. Or we're going to pay for you to pick up that new shiny game that you want. For every 10 that we get, $30 more will go into the, to the pot to a different person. Uh, this is open to anyone that listens. It doesn't have to be someone who wrote that review. But no one can get anything unless those reviews are written. So if you've already written one, thank you. Find someone else who listens to us. Get them to write a review as well. Talk about us on social media. Try to get more people involved. The more reviews we get between now and July 15th, that's going to be the cutoff day, the more chances that you have to get this $30 prize. In addition, you also will get a ticket to a Catacon. So $30 Gen Con per diem budget and a $30 value to a Catacon for a badge. So that's it. So uh, now with that, Caleb, unless you have anything to add, we'll go ahead and read the reviews that we need to catch up on. I was just going to do my job and sum up that contest. So here's how it works. For in between now and July 15th, for every 10 reviews we get on iTunes or Stitcher, but preferably iTunes, we will 
draw one name to win both a $30 expense budget at Gen Con 2016 and receive a three-day badge to a Catacon 2016. On July 15th, we will take the total number of reviews that have been written. For each multiple of 10, we will have one random drawing. At that point in time, we will release how many drawings we will have, and we will let everyone send in an email to our contest pool, and from that pool, we will draw these winners. But to clarify, we are limiting the number of winners to five. So if we were by some miracle to end up with a thousand new iTunes reviews or Stitcher reviews, we are still limiting the number of winners slash drawings to five. In order to win, you have to go to Gen Con because that's where Michael gives you the money. Yeah, preferably on our Wednesday night pre-Gen Con event at Gen Con would be a great time to find me and get your money. But as long as we can meet up anywhere at Gen Con, I'll get you the cash, even if it's Sunday on the way home. So there is the contest. Of course, we will provide updates and more details on the website and social media as we move forward. And I think now it is time to have some fun reading these reviews. Our first review is from user BizSTFU. It is titled, It's Like Juilliard, but for RPGing. A must for fledgling GMs and dungeon veterans alike. Expand your arsenal with this great podcast. Thank you. That's a great review. Short, sweet, and to the point. Our next review is by user Eric C. It's titled Sweet Variety. Really hits it all. Sound advice from veteran gamers for veterans and noobs alike has really matured over time. Well, thanks, Eric C. That's because we cut out all the dirty dick jokes in the background. Sometimes, not all the time. We have a review here from a user iBlueWizard. It's titled, Great Content from Great Hosts and Great Guests. I think this is going to be a great review. Let's read. In just a few short months, I've consumed all 280-plus episodes of this podcast, and I couldn't be more satisfied. Listening to Michael and Caleb and their players and guests has made my typically dull hours at work fly by. My only regret is that now I'm caught up, I'll only have new content to listen to as it's released. Good things, they have a network of colleagues with their own podcasts I can get addicted to. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Also, I've been listening to various podcasts for years now, and this is the one that I got iTunes for just so I could leave them a five-star review. Thanks, iBlueWizard. If you get in trouble for listening to us at work, we hold no legal responsibility for any consequences that may occur. But please keep listening. And here's a review from January of this year from Chris Burlew. It's titled Awesome Shows. I love the feel of each episode, and I can tell these guys love what they are doing. It's very true, Chris. Thanks so much. And we are jumping around the timeline here a little bit. This review goes back to October of last year, written by a user. Oh, God, I'm going to screw this one up. Fukwulb. Sorry, buddy. I can't pronounce that there's not enough vowels it's titled new listener great podcast nice mix of fluff crunch and trials more trials please exclamation point 
winky face emoticon. You guys playing Wushu got me interested and trying to get my friends to do a trial also. Thanks, friend who doesn't know how to use enough vowels. We've got more Wushu on the way. If you'll notice, Wushu has two vowels. Maybe you should borrow some. And our last review here is from November of last year by user Templar Grok Face Cruncha. That sounds terrifying. It's titled Great Discussions. Let's read. I am a D&D veteran DMing for 15 years. This show is awesome. I listen to all the various topics and discussions they have, and there is always something interesting I get excited to try in my game. Great content for veterans and new players. I highly recommend it. If you are looking for somewhere to start, I would suggest the two-part reskinning episode. It's a concept I have used before, but the hosts do an excellent job discussing how it can be taken to new lengths. Thanks, Tepler. I appreciate the kind words. Please don't be super scary. And that's all the reviews for right now. Uh... Please send us more. We love getting them. We love reading them. And now it's worth your while with that amazing contest. Obviously, we want more. That's what the contest is about. Uh, Hopefully, overall, you guys are excited about 2016 as we are. And remember, there's always a f***ing chandelier. All right. This has been Michael and Caleb, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.